Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rise Church. We're in the middle of a series called Restart. Everybody say Restart. And uh, yeah, the reason we're doing that is because, you know, we look at the beginning of the year, the new year is kind of like a new year, new start, new you, fresh you, and you have all the, you know, uh, what they call it, New Year's resolutions that you guys are probably all going to cancel next week, and so it's going to be awesome, and uh, we're just going to walk through just really how to have a, a fresh start, a restart in the new year, uh, just so that we can have a best 2019 possible. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 to kind of start off Exodus chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, we actually give you my notes on version, uh, which is a Bible app, and we give you our notes for free ahead of time. You can just search in the event section for our church called Rise, and uh, we've been just kind of talking about how to restart your life. Week one, uh, we started, we talked about how like God has a plan and has a strategy and a way of how you can restart your life, and really the, the two-part process is that you need to know God, not know about God, you need to know God, and then you need to hold on to Jesus, hold on to his ways, and hold on to those things, and if you could do that, you can really have a restart in all aspects of your life, and then last week, we talked about how to restart your relationships that a lot of us really, have you ever noticed that when you talk to someone who got in trouble, they always said like, they always started with this kind of crazy sentence, like I had these friends, I had these relationships. And typically it's kind of hard to get in trouble by yourself, but it's really easy to get in trouble when you got crazy people around you. And so we talked about how to restart in 2019 to have good relationships in your life. We talked about really, if you missed it, three types of relationships. The first was uh, you and I need to have in, in relationships that inspire you. Ever say inspire. Yeah, inspire you to be better. The second one is to love. You need to have someone who loves you at all times. And then the third one really was, uh, was you need someone to tell you the truth on a regular basis. And that wasn't obviously an exhaustive list of all the friends that you need. But we've, I really believe that if you can get those friends in your life, uh, you'll be set up to have a great 2019. But today, we're going to talk about how to restart your identity, restart who you are uh, and what you think you are and who you think you are. We're going to talk about that uh, in just a moment. Exodus chapter 3. Before we get there, I want to give you some context to what's happening in Scripture. So Exodus is in the beginning of the Bible. Uh, it's in what we call the Old Testament. Uh, Bible is broken up. If you're not a Bible person and you maybe you wandered in here looking for, you know, Denny's and uh, you're, you're just in here by accident. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, which is the first part. Exodus is in the first part. Genesis, Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And in this part of the Bible, in Exodus, during this time, there's a king named Pharaoh. Really, it's kind of the Pharaoh is, the, is that Pharaoh is the one you kind of heard about Moses' story. We're going to learn about Moses today. And Moses, in that time, there was a guy running Egypt named Pharaoh, and, in, and during that time, Pharaoh was kind of paranoid, and so what he was doing, he was actually killing a lot of the baby boys, because he was afraid of one of them rising up and, be, and coming against him and his kingdom and taking what really he had. Moses, in, um, in Egypt, actually, in Egyptian, the, the, the name means son, but in Hebrew, it actually means chosen or drawn out, because that's what happens with his body. You see his mom actually has the baby, and she's afraid that he's going to get killed, so she actually puts him in a, uh, in a bath basket in the Nile River, and it floats down, and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and draws him out of the water. You see where that comes from? So she draws him out, and she actually raises Pharaoh inside the king's palace. So Moses is not Egyptian. He's Hebrew, but he actually grows up Egyptian, and so he kind of sees both sides, and his Bible says that one day he's older, and he actually sees an Egyptian mistreating one of the Israelite slaves, and so he gets so mad about it, he kills the guy and then buries him in sin, and then he gets afraid because he feels like, man, someone saw him kill that guy, and they thought that actually is going to spread amongst the Egyptian people and get to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh's going to kill him. So he takes off, leaves for 40 years, and runs to the desert and uh, winds up kind of making a life out there, and we pick it up while he's in the desert on this mountain. The Bible says he walks up to this mountain, and he has what he's, what's called, scholars call a theophany. Everybody say theophany. Y'all are so smart. So he says theophany, and so what it is is it's a Old Testament 
appearance of Jesus. It's what most scholars believe. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And it's inside of this bush that burns, that lights on fire, and it doesn't get burned up. And so he kind of has this miraculous thing. And this is where he picks it up in verse uh, 10 when God's telling him. And this is the story. This is the story of God talking to him through what we call the burning bush. And so verse 10 says, Now go for, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead the people out of Israel or out of, people of Israel out of Egypt. And verse 11 says, But Moses protested to God and said, Who am I? Everybody say, Who am I? Yeah, look at your neighbor and say, Who am I? All right, look at your other neighbor, the one you didn't chose, and say, Who am I? Yeah, yeah. He says, who am I? He says, he says to appear before Pharaoh. And he goes on to say, he says, who am I to lead the people out of Israel, of Israel, out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God at this very mountain. So he says this, he says, Moses, you're going to go into Egypt and then you're going to come back to this very mountain. So you spoiler alert, you're coming back here. This is where you're going to end up. But you need to go in there, get my people, bring them on out, do the Charlton Heston thing, say, let my people, right? Let my people what? Yeah, let my people go. And then you're going to come back to the mountain, and we're going to have a conversation, because then I'm going to start giving you some things, and you know them as the Ten Commandments. So he goes, verse 13, he says, but Moses protested, said, if I go to the people of Israel, tell them that God of your ancestors has sent me, they're going to ask the question, who sent you? And he says, they're going to say, what's his name? Because names are important. He says, what's his name? And then, then what should I say? In verse 14, God replied to Moses, says, I am, this is what you tell him. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. Tell them I am has sent you. That's like a baller move right there. You know what I mean? Like that's like, that's like saying, listen, just tell them the man sent him. All right? Just tell them that's who sent him. He says, I am sent him. That's who I am. And there's a lot of theological context in that, but Really what I wanted to kind of highlight for you is that inside of Scripture, God is reminding us of two things. He is saying Moses is, God is telling Moses and really reminding Moses, but at the same time reminding us. It's extremely important that you know who God is and who you are. He's reminding him. He's saying you need to know. You need to know who God is and know who you are. All right, now flip to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, flip to the New Testament. This is, a, this is, again, a letter from Paul now talking to the church in Colossians. And he's going to talk to the Colossians. He says, verse 9, he says, do not lie to each other. Okay, he says, this, he's, he's talking about the lie that's going on between kind of the, 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 the church at the time. He says, since you have taken off your old self with his practices, verse 10, you have put on the new self. Everybody say new self. That's important, which is being renewed, restarted, refreshed in, right, right, in knowledge in the image of its creator. So Paul is now reminding the church who God is, okay, the creator of the universe. He's saying you're being renewed in the creator, but you are to put off your old self and put on your new self. Paul is doing the same thing God reminded Moses. Now Paul's reminding the church. He's saying you need to know who God is and who you are. He says you need to know who God is and who you are. And so with that as kind of our context of scripture, if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is, you don't know who I am. You don't know who I am. With that, let's pray. Father, we just love you today, God. We thank you that today, Lord, you are doing something incredible. You're speaking to us, God. You're going to show to us really who you are, and through that, we're going to know who we are. And so, God, we just pray you take my, the, my words and uh, transform them to the hearts of the people. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 
I was reading a story the other day about um, a former governor, Massachusetts governor of Massachusetts, and when he was running for office, he was running to, uh, for like re-election as the governor, and uh, he was doing a, he was doing kind of a campaign trail thing. And on the campaign trail, they you know they have all day like things back to back to back to back to back. And so he started off at a school rally, and then he went to a couple of you know factories, and went to a different areas, and went all around town. And he uh, he was so busy he didn't have a chance to eat. So he's on his way towards the last fundraising event of the day, and it was at a church, and uh, they were doing a barbecue. Now, how many of y'all just appreciate, look, you don't even have to be a Christian in here, you just appreciate that church people know how to do it right, because they always got food be going on. So, I mean, there was just food, and it's just like, we're going to have a barbecue, and so he's excited, so he's hungry, and his, you know, stomach's growling on the way there, so he gets there, shaking the hands of everybody, and he goes straight for what, the food line, and so he goes to the food line, and he's standing in line with his plate. He's walking down the buffet, and he's putting, you know, he's putting the potato salad, and he's putting the, uh, you know, the, the beans, and he's putting the rice, and he gets to the meat, and there's chicken there, and this lady's handing out chicken. So he walks up to the lady, and he puts out his plate, and she puts one piece of chicken on his plate, and he's like, man, that chicken looks really good. And he gets to start walking, and he stops, and he, his stomach growls again. He's like, Man, I want another piece of chicken. How many of y'all been there before? You see one, and you're like, I could, I could probably put down two. So he goes back to the lady, and he goes, um, excuse me, ma'am, could I have one more piece of chicken? And the lady goes, uh, no, sir, sorry, uh, one piece of chicken per person. And he's like, oh, man, you know, he's like, okay, well, okay. And so he walks, he kind of walks, takes one step, and he turns around, and he's like, man, I want that, I want another piece of chicken. So he walks back up to the lady, and he goes, listen. Can, can, I, can, I, can I please have just one more, one more piece of chicken? And she goes, no, sir, one piece of chicken per person. And he goes, do you know who I am? You know, because he gets irritated, you know. He says, you don't know. Do you know who I am? And she goes, no, sir, I, I don't. He goes, well, listen, I'm the governor of the state that you're in. I'm the governor of Massachusetts. That's who I am. And she goes, well, he, he goes, she goes, well, that's fine. She goes, do you know who I am? And he goes, no, I, I don't know who you are at all. I, I don't know who you are. She goes, well, I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. It's time for you to go. <laughs> Silly how we, you know, sometimes forget that we need to know who we are. And how God oftentimes really reminds us in so much of Scripture that it's important that you and I know who, who we are. I say it like this, that I think one of the biggest things that you see through all out scripture is that God is extremely concerned about who he is and identified as and who you are and who you're identified as. I just showed it to you in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's extremely concerned about who God is, what do people say I am, and who people say you are, the followers of, of God. And oftentimes we get caught in these situations. We get caught in these moments where really culture will tell us all kinds of things about God and all kinds of things about ourselves. And it's important because you need to know this. What we believe determines how we behave. That what we believe determines how we behave. What you believe about yourself determines really how you behave about yourself. I was talking to my mom and my aunt the other day. We were having a conversation and they were 
telling me the story about how I was born. Because I asked him, I was like, hey, can you tell me the story of my birth? You know, and, and you got to be careful with stories like that because you want them to uplift you. And oftentimes they don't always do that, you know. And uh, so I was asking him, like, tell me about my birth story. She's like, well, you know, you were great. You know, you, we were, I had a really easy pregnancy. It wasn't very hard. And, you know, then we get to having you and my water broke and they rushed me to the hospital. And, you know, my aunt's there too. You know, they're kind of at the same time. And she's telling me the story. And she's like, and I'm so excited. And we're in the hospital. And I'm like, I'm like so, you know, how long did it take for you to deliver? She she goes, well, that's where it all went wrong. And I was like, what do you mean it all went wrong? She goes, well, here's what happened. She goes, the problem was is that you wouldn't come out. I go, well, how long did you, get, how long did you labor? She goes, well, we labored for about, uh, about 32 hours. I'm like, 32 hours? You know, like they don't let you do that nowadays. I think they kind of like make sure you, they, they get the baby out. Like, sorry, the baby's coming. We're going to get him out. And so they didn't do that with me. They kind of let see how far my mom could kind of try to get me out. And she's like, you just wouldn't come out. You wouldn't come out. And so finally they just said, hey, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. And uh, we're just going to cut you open and, and get your baby out of there. And so my mom goes, okay. And so she says, so, it's just so funny, so she tells me, she goes, so they, they, they opened me up, and I was kind of drugged, but I was still kind of awake, and so they take, take you out, and they let me see you, you know, so they kind of brought me and put me, kind of put, put, your, put you kind of close in my arms and let me see you, and I look down, and she goes, and she goes, and I just, I just was so happy, and my aunt goes, hold on, that's not how it happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm like, this is where it gets, you know, this is where it gets good. She goes, that's not how it happened. Actually, when they took you out of your mom, she uh, the, the nurses brought the baby, brought you next to your mom, and your mother bro- burst into tears and started sobbing uncontrollably. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, because she was so happy, you know, and so, you know, you were so excited to be, a, you know, I was the firstborn, and, you know, I'm the son, and, you know, I made you a mama, like I was the best gift ever, right, mom? And mom goes, oh, no, yeah, that's right. Actually, I was so, so freaked out because you had, like, the worst, you were so ugly, Like, you want to know why I have issues? That's why I have issues. I'm like, Mom, I'm working on it with my counselor right now. I'm working on you. We are at mom issues right now. And she goes, no, no, you had a cone head, so I thought you were going to have a cone head your whole life. I just thought you'd be ugly forever, and I didn't want to have an ugly baby. I'm like, well, that's fair, you know? And so, but why did she cry? She believed that I would be that way forever, right? That's how she believed. She believed something that wasn't true, but it was true. And it's a statement I say often to people. It's to be careful. A lie believed to be true will affect you as if it were true. And then if you're not careful, things that were spoken over you and things that you think about yourself and things that you might say, there are lies that can get into our, our personality and get into our identity and get into who we are. And all of a sudden, before you know it, that was a lie, but you are now living that out as truth, and now it's true to you. And if you're not careful, there's a lot of cultural lies that can come into our life. And in 2019, for us to restart, we got to get this right. I was looking at, um, if you have your license in here, like take it out, take it out, take out your license. If you have an ID in here, I was looking at my license. Go ahead and take it out. This is okay. It's interactive church. It's kind of fun, right? Interactive church. If you're a guy, I'm sure you just pull it out of your wallet, lady, you have to get in your purse or something. And so, um, you know, uh, I was looking at my ID and I noticed that if somebody asks you for identification, what do you show them? Your, your ID, right? Your driver's license. It's an official way to show you your identification. And what I found interesting about the, the license, I was looking at it the other day. I had to have it changed because I, was, I moved and I had to change my address. And I was looking at all the things that my ID has on it that I identify as. And uh, I was thinking about it because what's funny about it is that although this has a lot of information, this is not really who I am. Yet, yet, 
Wait, yet we live our lives based on these identification facts, really, is what they are. I'll, I'll prove it to you. First one I was noticed is, uh, is your, your, your date of birth. You know, you have your date of birth on your ID, your age, your, your date of birth. Mine that says 6-15-1984. 6-15-1984. So you don't have to do the math. I'm, I'm 34. 6-15-1984. And uh, I was looking at it, and I was like, you know, it's interesting. How many of us identify or wrap our identity in our age? I've noticed that some people, most people, a lot of people, actually excuse a lot, a whole lot of bad behavior because of your age. Not just young people. Could be seasoned and mature people. I know a lot of people who excuse bad behavior just because, well, I'm this old, and that's just how it's going to be, Pastor. You're going to have to get used to it. What's that statement? You can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? That ain't true. That ain't, that ain't biblical. Right? That ain't in the Bible. But we walk around acting like we are our age. If you're a younger generation, I think the biggest problem for younger, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, you know, young, young adults and youth ministry. I think some of the biggest, you know, whether you're in your teens, 20s, 30s, or, or whatever, some of the biggest issues we have as a younger generation is really struggling with the idea that um, we, we tend to trade influence for acceptance. I'm going to say that again. We, we trade influence, respect, we trade our ability to lead for acceptance. That we care more about being accepted, more about being loved, more about being a part, more about being, a, uh, being with someone, a part of a group, than having the respect of that group. That we do a lot of things. We do have a lot of bad behavior because of that. I was reading the other day, and I find it interesting that, you know, oftentimes when we look at Jesus' disciples, we think of them as old men, you know, like these old dudes that were just, you know, almost on their way out, and Jesus chose them because of their wisdom. Actually, most scholars believe that Jesus' 12 disciples were actually teenagers or young adults. We excuse as young people, you know, even as we're young, we think that, man, one day we're going to make a difference. We don't believe that at our church. We believe difference makers happen right now. That's why we teach kids in, in, in our Rise Kids children's ministry. We don't, that's not babysitting. That's teaching. That's training. That's raising. That's growing. That's, you're going to do something right now. You can make a difference right now. You're not the, the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. And so for us, we, we believe that as a church value, but some of us don't believe that as a personal value. First Timothy 4 says, don't let people despise you because you are young. Let's talk about the, the flip side of that. Maybe you're a seasoned, mature person in here. Maybe you've been around for many years. Maybe you, you are that person who has the wisdom that's been around for years. And, you know, you, although young people might trade influence for acceptance, sometimes we trade the fact that we're just kind of, hey, you, we could be in that season of life where things just don't matter anymore. Now people have to cater to you and you look at the young people coming up behind you as more of a burden and a nuisance rather than a blessing. And so now you're struck and struggled with this idea that like now that I'm older, I, maybe I just need to make sure that I don't hang out with kids. Did you know that Jesus is most famous, uh, the people that loved him the most were children? The Bible talks so much about how children would literally run to Jesus when they saw him. Do you know what kind of a person you need to be to have a kid run to you? Come on, those of you who don't like kids. Come on, those of you who run those neighborhood kids off your lawn. Stay out of my lawn, you kids. 
Stop running the kids off. Jesus never ran the kids off. Jesus said, let the kids come to what? Come to me. He, he, he said, let, let the kids come, come to me. I want the kids to come to me. I want them to see me. I want them to learn. I want them to grow. I want them to know I have a purpose in their life. And so our posture as young people is we look to those that have been before us to learn and to be and, to, and for their wisdom, those that are mature and seasoned in here, you look down to the kids that are coming up to you. Say, come on, you can do it. Come on, you can. I believe in you. Come on, when you don't believe in yourself, I'm, I got you. Whatever you need. You need money, I got money. You need wisdom, I got wisdom. You need patience, I got patience. Come on. You need, you need somebody to come around. You didn't have a dad, I'll be your dad. You didn't have a mom, I'll be your mama. Whatever you need, come on. That's the type of church I want to be in. That's the type of church I want. I don't want the people where you walk in. You ever been to those churches? You walk in, everybody's old, and they look around you like, mm, they just have sour face all the time. Like, they'd be sucking on a lemon, like, permanently. That's not, the, that's not the person you are just because of your age. Titus speaks of the seasoned, mature generation teaching the younger. So you're not your age. I looked at it again, and I looked, and I noticed there was my addresses on here. My address, where I live where I live, where I'm from, where I'm, where I'm from. Most people in, a, in here, I think, sometimes identify a lot where you're from. And oftentimes, this could really, honestly, you know where this manifests a lot? This is just me as a pastor, and I counsel a lot of people. This is me as a pastor. What I've noticed is that a lot of people will excuse who they are or they identify where they came from based on their, their really a lot of their socioeconomic status. So here's what I hear a lot. Pastor, I'm sorry, I struggle with money. I just do. I grew up poor, so I'm just going to be poor. And what you don't realize is that over time, you'll grow up and now you're not poor, but you are poor in your mind. And so I tell people all the time, poverty is not just a financial state, it's a mentality. And so you could have everything you want in life right now. You could have the house you want, the car you want, the, 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 the spouse you want, all the toys, all the boats, all the TVs, all the, the little gadgets and gizmos. You can have everything that you want and still live in poverty. In fact, that's why most people don't give. Most people don't give not because they don't want to. Most people give because they grew up in a house where they, once they didn't have it, they didn't have it no more. And so you can't give because once it leaves your hand, you feel like you're going to be without and so you struggle with being generous, not because your heart's wrong, but because your mind is still stuck in the poverty mentality, because that's where you came from. The flip side of that, maybe you didn't grow up in poverty. Maybe you grew up in, in, in affluence. Maybe you grew up blessed. And your, your issue might not be a poverty mentality. Your issue is now a faith mentality, where you grew up so much, so well, where you had everything that you wanted. You never had to believe God for anything. You never had to have faith, like faith, like the big F word, faith. Like real faith. Like faith that moves mountains, faith. Like faith that believes when the doctors tell you you're not going to make it, faith. Like the faith that believes that your marriage is going to make it even though what you see is not working. Like faith that means like you're going to be healed even though you got a bad doctor's report and now you're stuck in that moment where you, you got some things and you can see some stuff, but now you got to believe in the things that you don't see for the things that you see. You, you got to believe it. And so now you're struck, you're stuck because you never had to grow. I was talking to my pastor the other day and I, you know, before I launched the church and I was like, why is it so hard to plant a church, pastor? This is like crazy. 
I'm like, I just, why can't I just, why can't people just be here? And why can't we just have, you know, money to plant the church? And why can't I just have like kids that obey? And I, why can't my wife just do what I ask her to do? And why can't I just, I'm just you know what I'm saying? And why can't we just, why can't we just do the things that we want? I don't understand why I can't just, God, why don't I just pray? And then you answer the prayer. And he says, and he started laughing at me. Did you like that when your pastor laughs at you? I laugh at y'all all the time, just so you know. And so, <laughs> He's like laughing at me, and he's like, I'm like, what are you laughing at? I'm serious. He goes, well, it's just funny to me. You're just having to live by faith for like the first time ever. And I was like, I don't understand what you mean. He goes, well, think about it. You don't have to, you don't believe by faith that you're going to eat tomorrow. You just drive to H-E-B. You don't have to believe by faith that you're going to pay your bills. You, 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 your paycheck just comes. You have to believe by faith that you're, 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 you're having to actually for the first time, you can't manufacture it. You can't work it out. You can't buy it. You got to open something up. You got to open the doors of a church in a place where you never lived, didn't know anybody, and pray to God they show up. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I haven't had to live in that type of faith. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you could, you can identify with where you came from, with your address. I find it interesting that even Jesus, he had to work that out. Jesus came from a city called uh, Nazareth. And uh, what's funny, in John chapter 1, this is a uh, uh, gospel in the Bible. John chapter 1 says that people would say, can anything good come from Nazareth? You want to know why they said that? Nazareth was primarily poor and, uh, and like really disease-ridden. It had terrible resources, didn't have any water natural water outlets, didn't have any good soil. I mean, in an agricultural society, that's kind of a big deal. You know what I mean? And a lot of people really struggled with disease and famine, and it was really sick. So nobody liked Nazareth. Nobody would say, hey, let's go vacation in Nazareth. You didn't go to Nazareth. You went through Nazareth. You know what I'm saying? Yet, Jesus didn't, he wasn't where he came from. He wasn't the address that he had on his identification. I would dare to say it's probably good that sometimes we struggle with faith because I think it's good sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. He's good enough, he's good enough to give you an opportunity to grow the thing you don't have the most. Third one is this, appearance. I was looking at, I noticed on my driver's license it says, gives my height. They took off the weight. Aren't you thankful for that? Like, thank God. I'm like, man, they took off the weight and they had like my eyes, they're brown. I'm six foot, and, uh, and uh, you know, I got like, you know, they didn't say my hair. They don't get my hair on here, babe. They don't got my hair. I got nice hair. Come on. And, um, but they, oh, they gave me my, they gave, thank God, they let me know I am a man, male, sex male. And uh, I thought what was interesting about uh, appearance, you know how like a lot of us identify with our appearance? A lot of us have find identity in how we dress and how we look and Oftentimes, it honestly comes out in gender roles. Um, I remember just, you know, for me growing up, men were a certain type of way. How many of y'all, come on, guys, if you're out here, y'all know, did your dad tell you what a man, man was? Maybe your dad wasn't there, and he showed you what a man was or wasn't, and, you know, we grew up, and we see it in society, and we see it on movies and in TV shows and all these types of things, and we're like, you know, you know when you're a young guy, you're growing up, but even guys now, we're taught three primary things. I, know, I kind of wrote this down. The men in our culture today, you need to be muscular mean and mindless. That's what the culture teaches us. Muscular, mean, and mindless. Muscular is like, you need to have, like, if you're a man in here, you can't be sensitive. Don't be crying in no movie. Don't be crying in no movie. 
You got to make sure that you, you're, 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 you're me, you, you, you got to be muscular. You got to make sure that you're strong. You can't be weak in any aspect. Don't let your wife see you weak. Don't let people see you weak. You got to be strong all the time. You can't be sensitive. Don't be sensitive with your wife. Don't be sensitive because if you're, if you're sensitive, you're, then you're weak. You're not a man. You have to be, you have to be mindless. So you have to walk around and act like you don't know what you're doing. Watch ever. Have you ever seen a sitcom lately? Every, have you ever noticed every husband's an idiot? And every mom's a superhero. And I'm not saying moms aren't superheroes, but you don't have to be an idiot. Not knowing that you're actually called to lead your family and walk with wisdom and actually know what you're doing and be a man of God. Like actually think about what you're doing and use wisdom. They also say you need to be mean. You can't be fun. You can't be kind. You can't be loving. Some of you don't hug your kids because you, some of you men in here, you don't, you're not loving your kids. You feel like that's not what men do. What are you, are you crazy? Go home and hug your children. Go home and, and can, I, can I punch your son? Come on, like, have fun. Wrestle. Be good with your kids. Your kids should love you, not fear you. Well, I want the kids to be afraid of you. They should be afraid of how much they love you. That's how you should act. But culture tells you, no, you better be mean. Don't be nice. Don't be kind. Don't be loving. That's not what men do. Women, I was asking my wife, I said, what are the things that, that women struggle with, babe? She goes, this is her three things. This is her. She, she said, they need to be perfect, pretty, and pushy. Perfect, pretty, and pushy. I was like, so explain. She, she goes, she goes push it. We, we, for, we have to be pushy. I'm, I'm called all the time to feel like I can't let anybody tell me what to do. Otherwise, I'm being pushed around. So I got to push back. Don't be submit. Don't I ain't listen to no man. Don't tell me what to do. I'm gonna tell you what to do. Don't push me around. Don't be I, submissive is an evil word. Like listen to another man. I don't want to listen to any man. Forget man. I don't want to listen to anybody. So you're called to be pushy. Another one's you're called to be perfect. Perfect mom. Perfect spouse. Right. Perfect wife. Perfect daughter. Perfect sister. Whatever you can find on Instagram. Whatever your, your girlfriend posts. Look at my house. Look how clean it is. And then you look, you look at her house and look how clean it is. And then you look at your... And there's kids eating paste. And <laughs> dogs are everywhere. And your husband is being mean to the kids, right? <laughs> and you're looking at their, their, their highlight reel. And you're comparing it to your... You're, you're behind the scene, and you're, you're like, I got to be perfect or pretty. You need to be pretty all the time. God forbid you, you, you don't look attractive every day, every minute, every second. Like, you got to, like, get out, and, and like, you have to, like, like you, you have to float out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you have, there's no, there's no, and you're, you're pushed by culture to be who you are on the, on the outside. Uh, I just noticed that so much of us I struggle with our identity in that. But that's not who you, who you are. In fact, even God shows us in 1 Samuel. He says, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at what you see as high as stature because I have rejected it. He said, don't look at what, you, don't look at what you're, you're putting on the outside. He says, for the Lord doesn't look at as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart because he's the only one who could see it. 
So you're not your appearance. You never were your appearance. And the last one I saw I noticed is my name. My name's on my license. My last name is Grijalva. A lot of people ask me that. They always like, well, how do you say it? Grijalva? Grifaloa? Grinalga? Yeah, that's what it is. Sure. <laughs> and uh, my last name. And, and if you're not careful, we can identify in, in who, you're, you're, who, who you came from. Not where you came from, but who you came from. I've talked to many people. I've met most of my issues with, with young men. I struggle with them as they, they, I've, they say these statements. You know, my dad was an alcoholic. I'm just going to be an alcoholic. Dad was a womanizer. He cheated on my mom, and I'm just destined to cheat on my mom. It's just who I am. It's who I identify as. Dad wasn't there. He left me. I guess my marriage is never going to work out, and I'm going to wind up leaving my kids. I guess I'm just destined to be that way. Maybe your, your mom, you know, you could, man, my mom, mom wasn't loving. I'm, I can't be loving. Mom never hugged me. I'm not hugging anybody. I've literally talked to people who said, I know what my parents were. I'm destined to be my parents. And yet your name is not who you are. Your parents' mistakes aren't who you are. Even Jesus had to work this out because Jesus didn't come from a line of pastors Jesus didn't come from a line of prophets. Jesus didn't come from a line of, of super Christians, professional. He came from craftsmen and carpenters is what the Bible says. He could have just said, you know what? I, I get it. I know I'm the savior of mankind, but, you know, honestly, it's probably easier just to make a table. Dad did it. I can do it. But he didn't. He went on to change the world and change our worlds. And I would just go to say how many of us in here are not changing the world simply because you are resting in what dad did and what mom did and who they were. Now that's who you are. That ain't who you are. You are not your family name. So who are we? Who are we? Who are you? Who, 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 is, who is the person that God created? Who, who, who does God say that you are? We sang about it today. Who are you? I'm going to close with this thought. There's a scripture that I want you to write down. If you didn't write it down, maybe take a picture of it or put it on your phone or something like that. I want you to go back because I was going to read this to you. It's Ephesians 1, chapter 1, 1 through 14. It's how Paul starts off the letter he's writing to the church at Ephesus. It's a city. He's writing to the city of Ephesus. There's a church there, and he's writing a letter called Ephesians. And he starts off this letter to Ephesians on the most critical topic he could think of, which is identity. In the first 14 verses of that chapter, he mentions this topic in Christ. Everybody say this when they say, in Christ. Come on, like you mean to say, in Christ. He says, in Christ. He says this 11 times in the first 14 verses. He winds up speaking about this over 216 times in the two-thirds of the New Testament that he wrote. Now, how many of y'all know that's a lot? And if you were writing your final letter, your farewell letter, your words, every word would mean something, wouldn't it? Every word would mean something. He goes on to write in Ephesians 1 through 14, who we are in Christ. That once you said yes to Jesus, and you've had that moment of salvation, that moment of redemption... 
by simply accepting him into your heart, you are now in Christ and all the things that you think you are and we all create ourselves on this weird identification, this is not who you are. These are facts about what you could, you, you are sometimes, but it's not who you are in Christ. And so what I always tell people is the reason what one of our first step is for people to come in here on a weekend and know God is because that's the catalyst for everything. Go back to week one. It starts with knowing God. So you and I need to restart our identity in 2019, and we must know who we are in Christ. You're going to go back this week and read it for yourself. That's, you're going to go read it. Shake your head. Yes, Pat, yes, I'm looking at you. Yeah, you're shaking your heads. That's good. Okay, we agree. God saw you. Don't lie to God. <laughs> but you're going to read it, but I'm going to summarize it for you. Here's who you are. If you didn't take any notes, these are the notes you need to take. If you didn't remember anything, you need to remember this, okay? Here's who you are. This is what Paul says. In Christ, you are blessed. Everybody say blessed. blessed. You're blessed. You're not cursed. Some of us walk around like we're cursed. Like you could do no right. You're not cursed. You are blessed. Ever say blessed. blessed. You are blessed. In Christ you are reconciled. Ever say reconciled. reconciled. You are no longer separated from God. Bible talks about sin separates us from God. That there's a holy God who's pretty stinking amazing. And our sin makes us pretty terrible. And there's this big giant cavern. And so what he does is God recognizes, you're never going to jump in. So I'm going to need to send someone to help you. So he sends his son, Jesus, his most valuable possession, the biggest thing, the best thing he could ever send. He sends it to you and to me. And God becomes reconciled with us through Jesus. And so you're no longer far off, lost, gone. You're reconciled. That's who you are in Christ. He goes on to say, you are in Christ new. Everybody say new. You're not old. You're not what you were. You're not, you're not your past. You're not what you were in 2018. You're not what you were yesterday. Say, Pastor, man, I messed up this morning. Guess what? You aren't who you are this morning. From here on out, you are new. Come on, that's good. You're new. He goes on to say, you are in Christ. You are adopted. Everybody say adopted. Come on, this is good news. This is who you are. You're not your, your, your identification. You're not your license. This is who you are. You're adopted. You're not a slave. You're not a servant. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a son. You're a daughter. Come on, you need to hear that because you didn't have a dad to tell you. You're a son you're, and you're a daughter. Come on, you're a son and you're a daughter. Oh, I forgot to tell you. You're a son and you're a daughter. You're a part of the family. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. Don't act like you're not with us. You are with us. We're in spiritual family. God bought you. He's your dad. You're a son. You're, you're adopted. And last is this. You are in Christ. Victorious. You're a winner. You're a winner. You can't lose. I, I, some of you have never read the Bible before. I've read the thing from cover to cover. You know what it says at the end? We win. We, we win. 
you, you're victorious. You're not a victim. You're a victor. You win. You don't lose. You, you win. You're not a loser. You, you win. And in Christ, we're all of those things. And some of you need to take a picture of that. Some of you need to write that down. Some of you need to tattoo that on your arm. Some of you need to put it in your heart. Some of you need to write it on a post-it note. Some of you need to say that to yourself over and over and over every single day because you've been walking around with the wrong identity for too long and 2019 needs to be different for you and to restart your identity, that's who you are. That's who you are. And that's not who you are because I said that's who you are. That's who you are because God says that's who you are. I pray 2019 is the best year for you and it starts with restarting your identity.